of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we have the Critics' Choice Awards on the horizon coming up in a couple days this coming Sunday as the latest precursor award shows as the road to Oscars Sunday gets a little more clearer, and we will try to make some sense of that and some other guild news. This Oscar race checkpoint for you. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Yeah, we got a little Globes fallout, and there should be a lot more fallout. There should be a whole Tom Cruise movie dedicated <laughs> to the golden globes uh wow good after, job by yeah you. that's the daddest of the dad jokes <laughs> that probably more coming but look i think uh we got to preview these critics choice awards and we got like you said just a couple of guilds I, I like that we're getting into these niche guilds i like that we're diving a little deep into the vfx society the ves as they like to be known i think you're a little more exasperated by the fact that I'm doing way too much research for these smaller guilds, Mike. <laughs> and I don't blame you because I, I, I actually looked at the production design thing because we did production design last week. And mm-hmm. you, you're like, we got to cut something. Like, this, yeah. look, we're cutting the second production design thing. The set decorator is just so important, but we did the art director's guild. We can't do another 10 minutes on production design, can we? Uh, we won't be doing another 10 minutes <laughs> on production designs is, uh, is my response there. But, uh, you know, it's not so much I'm exasperated at, at you and the research you do. It's just this is all coming in one big clump. And on top of it is we, we're in this age right now where we have an award show every single week. Yes, we Some of them matters more than others. Uh, and I guess to kind of start as to what matters and what doesn't, apparently a lot of people out there didn't think the Golden Globes mattered all that much to watch. So the ratings were down to 6.9 million viewers last year, Michael. They had a whopping 18.4 million. And to put it into context, uh, the Oscars had 23.6 million, which was a record low. So we're used to seeing 30 to 20s in terms of millions of viewers here. Yeah, and the Oscars is a record low, which was also down 6 million viewers from 2019's Oscars telecast. Yeah. Uh, Look, I would like, I tweeted this too, I I, I would like to say this is because people were outraged about the Golden Globe scandal that we were on here yelling about. I just don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. I think it has far more to do with people just seeming not to care as much about the movie industry when there's no theaters to go to, which I think is kind of an interesting correlation. If that turns out to be true, especially on the heels of the news this week where we heard the Disney CEO during a conference call saying he thinks he sees at-home viewing and streaming at-home movies is more and more going to be the future, where obviously all these streaming networks are pivoting towards at-home delivery of these brand-new titles and blockbuster titles. Look at what HBO Max is doing all throughout 2021. Look at Netflix having a new movie every week in 2021. If it's truly, if the awards industry is truly driven by theatrical turnout, that to me is something to worry about going forward in the very near future. Well, it's strange to talk about this because we have mentioned in the past, Mike, that, you know, the ratings for these award shows was, it was going down naturally because people are cutting cords, right? They're getting away from, you know, network television. They're literally cutting cords and they're finding other ways to watch these shows or not. And I think there's, 
I think there's got to be a solution to getting more people watching live events on streaming surfaces or surfaces or services. Mm-hmm. Just on flat walls, they yeah. watch live events. Well, mm-hmm. that's what it's coming to, right? Everybody's going to have a movie theater in their house. Anyway, yeah. that's my dream. I said that 30 years ago in like an essay <laughs> in my lit class. <laughs> Never mind now. I am Nostradamus. Anyway, Michael, the Emmys, their ratings went down as well this past year, 6.9 to 6.1 from 2019 to 2020. Is that a pandemic attrition or is that just natural attrition coming down from tv because people have cut cords i don't know where you kind of draw the line but here's what i do know the globes went down 18.4 to 6.9 yeah 60 some odd percent is shocking that's ridiculous that's a huge <laughs> drop off that everybody it's almost like somebody called them out for being racist or something well, do you think that many people actually I, I I can't imagine that many people cared about it because this controversy was nowhere uh, for the most part, except in the trades and in people who actually cover this on a daily basis like we do. I mean, Lord knows NBC and the well, HFPA CNN, did their though, best too. to like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was OK, on it's made some headline yeah. news, but I mean, the people involved did their best to sweep it under the rug and make it go away and not acknowledge <laughs> it. It's true. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I do look. I, I think my guess is that it got out there, and my and I think you're probably right. I think natural attrition plus uh, uh, plus a weird streaming year definitely took like the event out of it. I think people might have been skeptical of the of the format. I mean, we we've seen sports ratings down. We've seen mm-hmm. a lot of live event ratings down across the board saturday night live etc we've seen these ratings going down this year i i think fans are skeptical of live events and how people are putting them on during a pandemic and if they're going to get their usual goods delivered that could be true but then my question would be well isn't there a general curiosity to like tune in at least for the first hour and see what's going on and see how it's being handled i heard a lot of people did that though i did you know how much does that factor into nielsen ratings and nielsen viewers or whoever's you know getting tabulated at the end of the day i don't know yeah those numbers coming from the independent they were the first ones on the scene i saw uh to report on globe's numbers so if they're a little different once the dust settles uh then that's the reason for the disparity but still 60 some odd percent drop there's uh, the hfpa has got to look inward on themselves and people were all up in arms when the oscars did drop six million viewers last year Mm -hmm. uh despite i think having a pretty critically revered show for the most part i know i know there was some lukewarm i think the, the the reception of the show for the most part if i remember was not bad even though it was some like you know and eh, whateverness to it but something's got to give here they're doing good if you get the and eh, whatever great <laughs> for these some of these award shows because the standards are high we've, we've gone over this in the past but look i think i think the golden globes have had a lot working against them i'll be curious to see what the the next super duper big one uh, does I'm not going to really read into the Critics' Choice that much. I know the SAGs are going to do like an hour presentation, right? Uh, and the quote for year. that was that they're doing an hour TV presentation on cable, which amounts to like 44 minutes, I think, of airtime. Mm-hmm. And they want to do that because they think that award shows are supposed to leave the viewers wanting more. Well, they also have 10 awards. They don't have that many awards either. So if they can't do all the usual pomp and circumstance, and I like the SAGs. I I like the SAGs more than most because there's time to breathe. The speeches are really long. They really get into them. And I I love the speeches. So if they actually actually deliver some great speeches virtually, and maybe, again, these are trained thespians. So 
I don't necessarily believe that a show that is pre-recorded has to be so much worse. It, it could be. We'll find out. But I, that's the other part is that yeah. they are announcing winners, letting the winners know ahead of time. I mean, this is what we don't need this award season, guys. Like, <laughs> if you're all going to cut corners this much, we could have just had a giant fundraiser. Like, this is uh, uh, nobody's going to leak anything. I will be shocked if nothing gets leaked on SAG's uh, Saturday when those things are announced. Well, we'll be, I mean, there's too many people involved. We'll be following Vegas probably for SAGs, right? I think Vegas. Yeah. Does, yeah so we'll we'll know if the money really goes wild. Well, no, hmm. it's, it's strange. Uh, it's, it really is strange. I, I'm very curious. I think there's a lot to talk about with it. And uh, I guess we could start with this weekend's award show on the CW, Michael. We are watching the CW annually every spring, well, every <laughs> winter or spring, March 7th this year, the CW at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The host is Tay Diggs once again. He did a bang-up job last year. Now, yeah, the year before, right? He's been yeah, there for he's a been couple, there a couple years, years. So there are thousands of film critics factoring into the critic scoreboard that we always reference, right, Mike? And we'll reference it later. There are thousands of critics in general but there are hundreds involved in the critics choice association and if i read it right i think it's 450 ish do you think 450 film critics could agree on a single pizza topping absolutely not that's why they, they need <laughs> 25 categories or whatever they got here and, and then and then they need to add to the 25 categories all the genres and no of course not well, the critics' choice are the most fun in that they they uh, allow the widest breadth of nominees. Their nominee their categories aren't held to only five nominees. Most times, in fact, they are always larger. They have the widest breadth of categories. There's stunt ensembles. There's you know uh, a- action categories. Uh, uh, Which they did at the Super Awards this year. A lot of right. The they they yeah. split it up into two award shows uh, formally this year. But as far as importance for precursors go. Are we united here in saying that the the Critics' Choice Awards probably mean the least of the major precursor shows until we see what happens with the fallout of the Golden Globes and how the scandal is held against it in the future? So you wrote down that question a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. And I think I marched around my house just (laughs) arguing with myself like a crazy man in the streets for a while. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I got to do a research project here. Because how important... Are the critics' choice? Are they the curators of the business? The critics' mm-hmm. scoreboard. Again, I'm attaching the same thing. They don't cross over. Let's be honest. The critics' right. scoreboard does not cross over at the end of the day to the Critics' Choice Association and the Critics' Choice Awards. Michael, we've pr- actually predicted the Critics' Choice in the past. 2019, I think, was the last time we did it. I don't think we did it last year, but when we predicted it in the past, I remember kind of angling a lot of my predictions towards that scoreboard. I didn't. Yes go there we're not going there this year but i i i don't think you should go there necessarily bottom line is i didn't know how much this research project didn't matter until i did it you ready <laughs> okay go give it to me so i compared the last five years of oscar winners to the last five years of globe choice sag and bafta winners All in right. other words i tried to find which precursor cross over the most Mm-hmm. And what I found will help nobody. All right. Good. Perfect. The SAGs <laughs> led with a 72% crossover. The Globes, mm-hmm. 71%. The Choice, 70%. The BAFTAs, 66%. So, of course, Michael, 66% to 72% is not much. 
Right. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, everybody's brains are going wild right now. There are many caveats and exceptions to be made. Look, you could shift these numbers based on which two or three categories at some of these shows translate to one Oscar or which two Oscars translate into a single precursor category or which time son of Saul was at this year's show and won that last year's award or which, right. I mean, this happens throughout the car. There's all these exceptions. So like I said, last episode, I like that you can, son of Saul was your poll there too, for the example, well, that was the, the big example. This, this, right. in this, uh, five year period, son of Saul won a BAFTA in one year and won an Oscar in the previous year. Mm-hmm. Through, That's right. I remember through me now. for okay. a loop, and how do you count? How do you account for that? Right? right. It's not just Kate Winslet and leader supporting. This is really difficult to account for. So my numbers are fucked, basically. <laughs> and you can ba- you can basically manipulate these numbers sixty six to seventy two percent where it doesn't matter, and it matters statistically a lot. insignificant. It's, is what it's we would statistically call that insignificant, but you yeah. can basically. You, there's a moral relevancy here. There's a relevancy here to where you could twist the numbers however you want. Now, yeah, it's like how we go into Golden Globes saying nothing matters except that everything does. And in 2018, the Globes went 10 for 11, 91% crossover. And then right. in another year, the, the BAFTAs went 11 for 19 and 57% crossover. And in another year, the BAFTAs are right on. So it really matters and it doesn't matter and it's always like 60 to 70 percent and they always affect each other and it's really i mean you really got to go to a think tank to figure it out but that's why i guess in a fun way we can talk about them so much and theorize and and but but that's also why we get infuriated with the cocksure prediction predictors michael that are out there that that seem to be so sure and you i don't know about you but i grew up in a a, you know kind of a rigorous religious household or Mm -hmm. and, and with a lot of religion and I get very mad at certainty, especially when it's over the you know realms of <laughs> right and wrong and, and, and heaven and hell and all that. Judge shit. not lest ye be judged yeah, type I, stuff. I yeah. immediately re- revile and revolt from that. So when people, yeah. So the pundits that kind of get assured in their stances, they bother me a little bit and they've been bothering me lately because I listened to them a couple weeks ago and I listened to them this morning in the last few mornings. And after the fucking globes, everybody's like, <laughs> Oh my God, all these things have changed. When we told you it would change, they always do. You can't predict what people are going to vote. Nobody can. You got these predictions up for nine fucking months out of the year and they don't amount to much. They don't. Uh, this is where I put the disclaimer that we realize we're hypocrites because we just had a whole show talking about how great yeah. our predictions were. But we, right. We do 100% accurate predictions in month one to take the piss out of people. Right, right. Because we don't uh, believe in doing predictions. Well, I was referring to last episode where right. you bragged about how your TV picks were perfect and I got Rosamund Pike. I mean, you know, that's... At the 11th hour, my predictions <laughs> of the last two shows have been great. So, yeah, trust me. Don't trust them. Right. right. Trust that's me. what I was going to say is I get mad at that surety, too, if it's not coming out of my mouth. <laughs> no, dude, you're you're absolutely right. There's, there's hypocrisy all, all over the place. And I think I did say we were right, they were wrong, at least at once. Mm-hmm. Correct. As an Correct. During that. No, but, so, yeah, you're right. It's definitely but a no, flare, I, ego flare-up. Yeah. There, there is that arrogance out there that, I, I mean, look, it's, got, it's gotten, and I complain to you all the time about it. It's just I can't go on Twitter sometimes because of whether it's about predictions or people just being so sure in their stance about something. And I told you, I'm like, I'm convinced these people that do this don't actually like movies. So well, they, I, they, they don't know. Right. And we don't know. And why is right. everybody acting like they know? 
Exactly, exactly. But you, these are these are fun, and like you said, I mean, the, the basis of this big research project that you did is that everything means everything and nothing at the same time, right. and that's why it is fun to go into the Critics' Choice and kind of analyze it and see what's going on, and at least paint the picture of what might happen. And uh, so let's, I guess, get into an official preview here, Michael, and start talking about what might go down this Sunday. So it's pretty interesting how the critics have more possibilities and you wonder if the widening of the field, the, the more nominations will accentuate the close races a bit more and you can get some out of the box winners. You can get some, some critics, you know, in these clicks and pockets because there's a couple hundred you can get, again, you can get some fun things happening here. Uh, let's look back to the Super Awards first and recap those. I mean, the, the, the Five Bloods, Delroy, Lindo, Soul, they've already won their categories, action or, or animated in particular. I, I think this show is also interesting, Michael, because there's this puzzle theory going on. And nowhere better is that illustrated than with Best Picture and Ensemble. And again, all these genre awards. They, they had comedy in the past. They have action. There's, there's a bunch of composition awards at the Critics' Choice. And we could talk about the difference as the Critics' Choice does have, obviously, a Best Picture category and Best Ensemble as its own separate category as well. Talking about Best Picture first, 13 times since the year 2000, the Critics' Choice has picked the same Oscars Best Picture winner in the same category. Only four times. <laughs> Times though, in that same span, have mm. they picked the same movie to win Best Ensemble as mm. well as Best Picture? And only one of those times has happened since 2004. They ended up picking Sideways to win both categories. So Best Ensemble and Best Picture doesn't happen very often at the Critics' Choice. In fact, the Best Ensemble winner at Critics' Choice has tended to be one of the final three to five finishers for the Oscars Best Picture lately, uh, though it's usually a film that falls short. Uh, the Irishman last year, preceded by The Favorite, Three Billboards, American Hustle, Silver Linings Playbook, The Help, The Fighter, Inglorious Bastards, and Milk. More often than it be than the Best Ensemble winner is actually the film that ends up winning Best Picture at the Oscars, such was the case with Moonlight, Spotlight, Birdman, and wait, you have to go all the way back to 2005 for the last time it happened before that run of three in a row to crash. So I, I like going back in time, and I like I like the lists of former winners and all that. But Michael, everything you just said boils down to the same effing number that I talked about <laughs> earlier. It's the sixty-five to seventy percent sweet spot. I mean, thirteen out of twenty. It's literally sixty-five percent. Mm-hmm. Look, it's telling us everything and nothing. Telling us most, but not all. Probably, but sort of. One Enough. of the great joys in my life is going to uh, be when I get you addicted to hardcore gambling, uh, and I just watch you do research for like a sports bet you want to make, and then you die. And that, like, it'll be. I'll feel sad that I lost a co-host, but I'll take solace in knowing that I drove you there. <laughs> we were following all the money at the Golden Globes, and I followed like seven categories, eight categories, and what did it wind up being? Four categories that fucking mattered. And all this research and just the same numbers and you still can't like it's just this is what the life of betting is man I, you're preaching to the choir I've been down this rabbit hole I live in this rabbit hole I'm Bane down here <laughs> it's, I don't know how you do it but look I mean it's fun to talk about when we're not being we're not being told exactly what's going to happen exactly so, yes and, and again you know this is me and my ego flaring up 
we've we've thoroughly recognized this at this point of the show, right? I mean, people are not really mad at us. Hey, well, we I know- think part of it too is that we like having conversations about it, and we we our arrogance a lot of time is inflated and for the sake of comedy. Uh, whereas we've seen That's other right. people that aren't interested in having a debate about the topic. Right. We want to be hilariously. Uh, ishly yeah, hilari- <laughs> hilariously, e- hilarious egomaniacs. Right, exactly. Say. I think I want to take, yeah, I want the Ron Burgundy persona as my radio. Persona. I mean, no, I th- you have to look no further than the fact that one of us gets very mad anytime the other one of us turns out to be right. <laughs> we get very, very incensed at that. I resent that remark, <laughs> Michael. Uh, let's do a little something different in this episode. We're not going to go through every movie. But we've been going category by category for the Critics' Choice for a mm-hmm. while. So we started out with Ensemble and Picture with a stat there. But I kind of wanted to talk about the contenders for Ensemble and Picture by going movie by movie, like I said. So let's start with the main contenders here. All right, so if you're talking main contenders, you got to start with Nomadland. That has a big lead on the Critics' Awards scoreboard thus far in a lot of categories. Uh, best Picture, Director, Adapted Screenplay, and Cinematography. It also has a lead, but slimmer, in actress with Frances McDormand. She's leading by five Critics Circle wins over the total number that Carrie Mulligan has won thus far. And editing, which currently has a one circle win over the total that the Trial of the Chicago 7 has amassed thus far. Now, mm-hmm. we've had La La Land that went 8 for 12 at the Critics Choice in 2016 as the film with the most nominations. Mad Max Fury Road went 9 for 13 way back in 2015. You gotta go back to 2008 Slumdog Millionaire year where it won 5 of 6 to something that might be comparable to what Nomadland could do here. So I'm looking at these 6 categories for Nomadland and it is in the lead. I'm thinking 4 of 6 might be actually reasonable? Would, would I be shocked to see Nomadland do the Slumdog Millionaire five of six right now, or is that recency biased? I, I would have to go with Picture as the front runner. I mean, again, I, I don't want to go one to one on the Critics Association Awards and the Critics Choice Awards as Nomadland being there for Best Picture. But again, I think a lot of the other contenders in Picture are probably something you can give the Ensemble Award to. So we know Chloe Zhao's running away with Director, or at least we think. Adapted screenplay might open up because she's getting director, right? So maybe adapted screenplay opens up even though she's winning that award. Cinematography's a runaway right now in the critics. So it's hard to to bet against cinematography, even though there's some other contenders we're going to talk about. Editing, I kind of lean towards Chicago 7 there. But actress, I could totally see the actress going, the the critics going with Frances McDormand for actress here. So, Mike, what do you think? Three of six, four of six, six of six? Are we sure Nomadland has a respectable script? Well, here's the thing about Nomadland's story. The story is uh, sprawling, and the story is different than the traditional uh, Hollywood script. It is it, it is uh, anticlimactic, I would say, to a degree, and it is superior to uh, the actual story that they had, which is very big short style. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an interesting read. It's a fair point. But it's not, it's not the hero's journey, typical Hollywood narrative that you get. It's very indie. It's very niche. And wouldn't you small. say it's most brought to life through McDormand's performance and Chloe Zhao's directing? I think when you're delivering credit to Chloe Zhao for this movie, I think picture and directors, director is probably where it goes. Editing... And adapted screenplay also have her name on it, though. 
So there could be a puzzle theory involved with Nomadland. That's why I ask. Like if the critics she... are just overly in love with Chloe Zhao and giving her my... Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly the argument could be made. I would probably be surprised if it... if it wa- I, Directors are given, you said that. I actually came out of the globe saying, wow, Nomadland has to be considered the frontrunner because I thought Best Picture at the Critics' Choice was its most... If, if I saw odds for how Nomadland would do in the Best Picture category of each precursor, I would think it had the most favorable odds, the closest to one-to-one odds yeah. at the critic's choice because Me we too. see critics online all the time and we read in the trades, every critic is in love with that movie. It is and, the critical darling. And the critic scoreboard, again, it's not a one-to-one, but the, the critic scoreboard has it with 30 wins thus far. Right, right, and which is a thing. monumental number. But, I mean, Ethan Hawke had 36 wins, I think, at this point in the lead actor category a it's couple true. years ago. So, I... I Look, I don't see that only because I don't see Nomadland as that type of movie in this. Even for the critics, I I just can't see it winning like the big six or sweeping five of the big six or something like that. I think wow. picture and director I would put as its favorites. I could I think cinematography is a given too. But when it's tough to talk a voting body into picking one movie for multiple major awards in your telecast if it's not one of those, like, Silence of the Lamb-type favorites. And that's why I'm glad you read the last time we had big winners at the Critics' Choice stats there with La La Land and Mad Max, which were both, they were both technical marvels, right? right? They won a lot of undercard stuff. We have had the Critics' Choice spreading the love for years. And we've seen in most years, Shape of Water will win three or four out of 14 or you're something, right? I mean, mm-hmm. most years, you got big noms, you got few wins, you got them spreading it around. So Nomadland doesn't have 10 noms. It has six noms, but it's like the favorite, I would say, based on, you know, just the critic scoreboard in those six categories. You're probably right. It's not going to win all across the board. And because there are three kind of potentially overlapping composition awards from just general critics it's not really branches separate branches voting this is just all the critics voting right right? so because we got that going on i'm i'm not necessarily sure it's just gonna like sweep all the composition awards so yeah i'm probably with you i'm probably this is even though i wouldn't be shocked to see five or six wins and i wouldn't be shocked but I, i would probably lean towards three two or three and uh, they spread it around again, which is proper, right? For this particular year, we yeah, have said it I multiple think so. times. We I think, think so. these movies are closer in quality, and it sh- we should spread the love. And I think also, uh, just as a, a little bit of an interesting uh, st- stat here, I don't know that Nomadland wants to win uh, adapted screenplay at the Critics' Choice because the <laughs> Critics' Choice haven't picked a correct screenplay winner, an eventual Oscars screenplay winner in either category. Uh, you have to go back three years for the last time that they did that. They're O for their last four, and actually they've only picked three of the last eight. The last four years they've only gotten uh, three eventual Oscar winners for the two screenplay categories correct. Well, that would be a, a resume that actually struggles from here. Well, whoever's adapted screenplay resume is going to be weird. Whoever, Whoever gets there and has the legs at the end of the day it's going to be weird because we had all the originals in the globes and the original mm-hmm. won the globe and then we have a da- you know nomadland's not in the wga and we don't know what the wga is going to tell us this year anyway screenplay they should just go be- back and give it to tarantino <laughs> <You're> just- 
<laughs> a troll. All right, Mank. Mike. Mank is the leader of the nominations on the night. I don't necessarily think Mank is the front runner for the biggest awards. That's why we didn't lead with Mank. But Mank went 0 for 6 at the Globes. The perception around Mank right now, again, from listening to all you wonderful pundits who I slammed before, I still love you, but yeah, don't be so cocksure. That's my new favorite word. Michael, Mank seems to be getting production design favoritism it pulled away on that scoreboard we've talked about vfx we're very curious about it's getting it's getting production design scoreboards because people don't realize they're staring at vfx when they look at the production design that hilarious (laughs) or that's so weird to me like i'm hearing a lot of vfx and production design and at the end of the day the people who are in the know the best of the best of the industry are probably going to give it to one and not the other right we would think so product that's going to open up one of these categories potentially now supporting actress Siegfried has been on a lot of people's lists she got a snub in there in the laps on her resume i believe at sag right yes original original screenplay we we've called out that narrative about jack fincher all along cinematography is is open score could potentially surprise even though i would tend to think that those same guys would win for soul but what are we looking at with Mank out of the 12? Two or three wins at most? Yeah, well, bleeding the field in noms hasn't really had much of a correlation at all uh, with success or lack thereof in terms of leading the critics' choice in noms and having Oscar success or lack thereof. We cited Mad Max and La La Lands. They were monsters at both the Oscars and the critics' choice. But, I mean, just last year, the Irishman had 14 noms at the critics' choice award. It only won one category for best ensemble. The year before that, the favorite had 14 noms. It only won best ensemble and lead actress in a comedy. Mm-hmm. And it would go on to have at least Oscar success in the lead actress category, even though it went one for 10 on the Oscars night. The Irishman was blanked last year. So, uh, you know, does it matter being the leading nominated film of the Critics' Choice? I don't know. I just, to answer your question more directly, I can't imagine we're going to go through the entire precursor year and not have one of these voting bodies fall for that mank narrative for screenplay. <laughs> I can't imagine rich. it. It's too Hollywood. It's somebody's got to pick it. Right. And, and I think that category is wide open. I think original screenplay's got... Uh, five in this case six we're going to talk about it a little later it's got great choices throughout the card there mm-hmm. so i think it's going to be a close race which means again you know it could be 20 votes that wins it and we've seen ties at this show every year like yes. there's a lot of point fives in the stats i did and it still came out to it's between 66 and 72 <laughs> all right look minari i think the minari narrative is fascinating there have been stories about minari obviously where the Golden Globes did it wrong, and it still won at the Globes. But, I mean, it, it, people came to Minari's side. They're behind this movie. It's out now on VOD. It's it's timing it just right. Minari could be the story of this award show with these 10 noms. Or, again, it could be a 2 out of 10 or a 3 out of 10. And when I look at its chances here, there, and everywhere, foreign language film, which... You know, shame on people for, again, putting it here. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be there. It's just, again, these these terms are bothersome. But mm-hmm. foreign language film, it's duking it out with another round again, most likely. Supporting actress Ya Jung Yoon is in the lead of the critics' scoreboard. That doesn't always translate. That's a wide-open category. But we could see her there. I'm not counting Minari out of picture or no. ensemble, Mike. I don't know about you. No. 
Me either. I, I, think, I mean, I, I would actually think that it's going to be between uh, Minari and Nomadland for the Critics' Choice for Best Picture. Wow. Yeah, I, I totally could be. Now, the question becomes, I you know, can you give an ensemble and, like, do a puzzle theory there? But I look, the, if the puzzle theory factors in with Minari, you can give it foreign language film. Simple as that. And then True. you can give ensemble to... You know, if they're playing those games here in their heads, and we've seen them do it throughout every critic scoreboard, sometimes to blatant levels, to where 10 minutes of screen time gets you a supporting actor win. We've mm-hmm. seen this. Mm-hmm. Critics have done this. They know exactly how to game the system, how to tilt the card towards what the way they do it in mass. They do it all the time with these critic scoreboards. So I wouldn't put it past them to do that puzzle theory. And that's probably why the show, you know, has so many awards and yet the same crossovers everywhere else, Mike, because at the end of the day, they get it. They get awards to the movies that they like, and they figure out where to give them to. We do this every year at the banquet for the kids at the high school kids at the awards. All right, we'll call it, we'll make up an award this year just to give the kid a darn award. Anyway, back to Minari. Alan Kim, he probably loses to Zangle. Yun probably loses to Bozeman. Chung probably loses to Za, to Chloe and director there. Nomadland probably beats it in cinematography. Sorkin and original screenplay. But again, I'm not putting the composition awards out of reach for Minari. So this is a fascinating watch for me. Is Minari going to come out of the Critics' Choice Awards, two for ten, at best three for ten, mm-hmm. and then do we say Minari's losing momentum, or does it stay this Cinderella? What is Minari on Monday morning? If it's not a three for ten or a four for ten, I the critics, it's easy to say this because we have the most access to critics and what they think as, as opposed to any other voting body, but right. there's been so much love for that movie after slandering them for the first <laughs> right, <laughs> 20 right. minutes of the show. <laughs> There's been so much love for that movie that I would think this is the show that it has to show up in. Yeah. And if critics really care most about representing what they see as the best in film, then this is where they're going to grant Minari the most awards. And if, if the critics just say it's a nice movie, but it's not awards worthy... What, what are the BAFTAs? Is the Academy going to be inclined to like outdo the critics here who have been so outspoken about their love for Minari? I don't know. So if Minari doesn't have a good showing here, it's it's a case where I can't see it's showing at the Critics' Choice affecting its chances uh, leading up to the Oscars. I personally don't get it. I I've rewatched Minari. I don't. It's not for me. I don't know what I'm missing about it. Hmm. I don't. I think it's a fine movie. I haven't and, rewatched it yet, so I'm I'm it, curious. But to should, me, it's wow. it's you know it's Chicago Seven without the the anger I have for the subtext. It's a fine cinematic movie. It's a good movie. It's you you watch it and you get something from it. But I don't think it's ten nominations at any award show. It's kind of blows me away, but that just proves the strength that it has with the critics. That it is that much of a nominations monster here. You also don't read books, though. So no, just a just a highbrow, <laughs> high high road you for a second. Like again, I always thought Minari was like literature. Just put my nose up in the air. I like, Great, it, it does. It that's what like, I want when I go to the movies. You when you see an indie film, no, I look. I just feel like it's it's an indie film. It's not that big. It's not a big studio narrative necessarily. So I don't know if that's more your taste. It's been more my taste in the past. Well, I mean, French Exit is the same, you know? And, I mean, I I have the indie films that are very niche that I think no, are just that's better. That's a ma- dark, 
like the French Exit and Mulholland. You're right. You like the horror slanted indie, like sure. Where... But you could also say the same about um, Pieces of a Woman. Mm-hmm. I love Pieces of a Woman. I thought Pieces of a Woman. I love the wife. I thought the wife deserved yeah, more than it's just the. I, I would you even know? say. I mean, look, we're not, we're, I don't want to spoil ten movies here in just a <laughs> rebuttal of you, but I would I would say Pieces of a Woman has more of a traditional Oscar grabby narrative, and I would say that you like it when Chulu comes down at the end of your indie <laughs> film and points the finger with the skeleton. No, that's the octopus hand, tentacles. <laughs> I, I think don't you know like that the, reference. I think you like the fucked up movies. Yeah, movies. I do. There's no, there's no, yeah, and yeah. Menard is just like a family getting by and being a family. And I hate my family, so maybe that's, <laughs> no. You do. I don't know why I'm laughing like that cartoon dog in the last two episodes here. I quit smoking six months ago. All right, look, I, I'm very curious to watch Minari. I don't know what's going to happen. I will freely admit that. And I, I'm I'm rooting for it more than you. I would like to – like, Minari is a cool story for me, and i, I got to rewatch it. I'd All like right. to see – I don't have the, the type of disdain for Minari I did for Parasite. And I, if anything else, Minari this year is proving how much of a favorite Parasite had to have been. I mean, I, there's a category. chance that Parasite yeah. won Best Picture at the Oscars last year without even getting to preferential balloting. Well, this is going to be interesting because if Minari holds serve and wins foreign language film, just like Parasite won foreign language film categories and international film categories, and just like Roma won those categories, then, yeah, I mean, Roma won the choice Best Picture which made me think it was a huge, <laughs> it was a huge deal, right? right? So, but Minari can still hold serve on the night, and maybe that's something we should we should bring up. It could win foreign language film and and, and Ya Jung Yoon, and it could win maybe Alan Kim, and even if it's that three out of ten, but it has if it's to a win two three, out of ten, right? It has. Well, to I don't win know if three, it has no? to. If it just got to, ha- it just got to win one. If it just wins foreign language, you think that's Minari holding serve? Yeah, I feel like because I again I could see it. I mean, I don't think you're wrong necessarily. I still think it's a nomination juggernaut at this show, and it, I'm very curious to to analyze Minari going forward. Let's move on to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and this is a a different case with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because Bozeman is not only a front runner; he's potentially a runaway. Mike Viola yes, he Davis. Be. Yeah, we we both believe he should be mm. Viola Davis is a contender in that category. And I think all five of or six or whoever's in the best actress category, they're in it to win it this year. Like we just saw it's it. A great at the category. But I think that's the, the point of a loaded category. Anybody could win because the vote gets diluted because there's so many superlatives in the category. So instead that's- of focusing on that, the SAGs are saying we're going to cut down our program to 44 minutes of runtime. We're going to rush every presentation and be out of there. I mean, what, what do we do? What? All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not bitter, by the way, about any of this. <laughs> Look, we have major contenders in these acting categories, and we have major snubs for Ma Rainey, and people are talking about it. We've been talking about Glenn Turman and Coleman Domingo yes. and that full cast, just uh, just lighten it up. And, and uh, we love that movie, and we thought the, the acting was tremendous. So Ensemble is in reach for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom now. Makeup and hair and lately costumes, especially after the recent costume uh, guild that we're probably not going to get to today. Those have become superlatives and they've taken the lead now in in those critic scoreboard categories. Now, what again, what does that mean overall? We don't know, but we do know that we love the costumes and we love the makeup and hair in that in that movie. So Ma Rainey is starting to find uh, four or five now where it's looking like uh, a front runner 
I would Which say. I'm all for. I mean, I, I, to me, how I viewed this film year is that if we're going to have awards, which clearly we are, even though despite the SAG's best efforts, I guess, <laughs> there's three movies that I thought were just every year awards movies. One was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the other was Soul, and the third was Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas and the Black Messiah has never had momentum for some reason. I don't understand. Uh, And Soul uh, is another one. It's just not being taken seriously as a Best Picture contender. You and I both think it should be. Uh, But Ma Rainey's at least having some signs of life here. And it has a narrative in the undercard, too, as Jazz Tanke for Variety just came out today and pointed out that me and Neil, who was credited with the uh, hair and makeup, would be the first black woman nominated for hair and makeup at the Oscars if she gets the nomination? How is that possible? Oh, dear God. How does that happen? You find these things, and it just takes your breath away at how this happens in in 2020. My God. All right. Well, it's another one of those. Let's... It's way, it's way too... Congratulations, but what took you so fucking long, right? So it does have, I mean, for the love of God, on merit alone, Hair and makeup in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is outstanding and worthy of Academy nomination. Well, it's that transformed character, right? Mm-hmm. That Viola Davis that we know from so many star-making uh, performances that she's done. And she and she's such a movie star that she doesn't really change her appearance that much from one role to the next. She doesn't really change her delivery for that much from, from one role to the next. Her voice. And here we have her lip syncing some of the songs and we have her completely transforming how she speaks mm-hmm. and it's just it it's one of those characters that the academy tends to look upon that's this historically accurate character where we're, we're celebrating we're celebrating her in that that biopic that elevated biopic stylized biopic so i could totally see it Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I think, is more of a contender than people think. And if it comes out I of the show so. with four wins, are, are you going to be surprised? I'm not going to be surprised at all. No, I won't be surprised, and I'll be thrilled, as a matter of fact. And I also, as far as Critics' Choice and its treatment of Ma Rainey's, I would expect the Critics' Choice to hopefully put a period on the Chadwick Boseman debate. I mean, give him the lead, mm-hmm. give him the lead category, honor him for the right performance, and let's be done with this retroactive relegation where we talk ourselves into him having a supporting worthy role into five bloods. So we don't have to nominate him or vote for him in the lead category at the Oscars and give it to Anthony Hopkins. It's ridiculous to me. And the critics, again, I mean, it's easy to say because we have the most exposure to their thoughts online and in the trades, but the a lot of critics I've seen have been equally as outspoken about that issue. So I would expect the critics choice voting body to vote in that manner and vote Chadwick Boseman in the lead category for Ma Rainey. Now, we've been over it a couple times, but I've been mad at the critics for a lot over the years. Right. And this is an area where I'm not that mad at them. I get the sentiments. I get that what they're trying to sustain and make sure of. And if you want to open the door for a Delroy Lindo. And there, yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's a ton of love for Delroy Lindo out there, too. If, yes. If you, if you have to open a door for Anthony Hopkins to win the Oscar... Uh, you know, again, Anthony, we, we haven't seen the father yet. It's the one, it's the white whale. Again, not Anthony Hopkins, the father. No, nothing's coming out right there, Michael. Uh, <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> I really want to see the father. I've always wanted to see it a lot. I've been teased to the point of like, you ever tickle a kid so much that he's crying? You think this is helping what you're saying? This None is making it sound better? Or? Is working, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had younger brothers, and if you over tickled them, they sometimes. Oh my God! Things are falling off my desk. 
Oh no! Where are we doing? We can't cut it. We can't even cut any of it because no, we're, we're leaving back. this in. The world oh, needs God. to hear this. What I'm trying to say is that I you're think very much looking forward to seeing the father, and you've been teased a lot with it. Daniel Kaluuya changed the formula here to where supporting actors seem like a lot of people in the same kind of tier. Yes, and you could make the argument that Bozeman was close enough to that tier to where you could. You can play Which a is favorite. a lazy argument, I think, Mike. I don't think Kaluuya's and, and Bozeman's performances are anywhere near each other. Kaluuya's tremendous performance, and Bozeman, again... You're talking Bozeman in the five blood, Bozeman, Bozeman as a supporting. Right, and then yeah. Bozeman and Ma Rainey is a top tier. So why Correct. are we messing around? Correct. Why are we even messing around? And I think you're right. I think the critics are going to do the right thing here. Obviously, they could pick them for both, which would be strange, right? What would that tell us? That's It'd give you a headline. If you want people to talk about your award show, that's one way to do it. Interesting. Don't tell them. Well, it's too late. They already voted. All right, Mike. <laughs> News of the world. I think seven nominations next up on this list. I think it's just happy to be here. Uh, Helena Zangle probably wins young actor or actress. Most likely, I, I mean, Ibrahim Gay from uh, The Life Ahead. You got uh, Alan Kim there. Anyway, you got a really cool uh, category. Talia Ryder, just great child actor performances this year uh, for, for a lot of these movies. Production design and score, I think, have outside chances for News of the World. But uh, I'm thinking that movie comes out with maybe one at the end of the day. Yeah, it's weird to say that a movie's just happy to be nominated when it has almost double-digit nominations for any award show, as News of the World <laughs> does here with seven. But I, but what I, I see so it the same as you. Though? There are, yeah, and that's the other part of this, is that there's a ton of uh, categories that aren't in other award shows. But I see it the same as you. I don't see where this would pull off an upset. Uh, production design, maybe. I've seen a lot of some noise about that. I, I don't know that I'm can be sold on score at this point anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't I don't know where this is going to pick up wins other than Helena's Elena's angles. Okay, so yeah, you you pronounced Helena's angles like a 97 year old man there, but you're welcome <laughs> from Chicago, <laughs> Michael. I've apologized for a lot on this episode, and <laughs> here's more. The six nominations for Defy Bloods. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about him. Director, cinematography, I would say outside shots at this point. As much as I, I would, you know, like Ryan McQuaid to get his Spike Lee narrative going, it looks like Chloe's got that category. Yes. Cinematography, I thought cinematography in Defy Bloods was a superlative on the year. It's going to be in my top five, no question about it. I loved all the different lenses, the different apertures. I, I was crazy about the cinematography for the Five Bloods, and I think it's worthy. I just don't think I've seen momentum for it. We're going to get some cinematography awards next week to talk about so we're looking at acting for this movie it already won the two actions at the super awards lead supporting ensemble any funny business or if not if they're gonna abstain from the funny business is probably the better question does defied bloods have a legitimate shot on ensemble here that's what i was just going to bring up i didn't write it down i was curious if you would touch on it but if I can see there being voters who say, man, I want to vote for Delroy Lindo, but I can't. I want to honor Chadwick Boseman, but I'm not doing it in lead for whatever reason. But I don't want to vote against Daniel Kaluuya in supporting. I want to get Spike Lee some recognition, but it's Chloe Zhao's year. 
let me just vote for the Five Bloods and Ensemble. Is there enough of those votes out there for the Critics' Choice? I don't know. I would tend to guess bet against it, but I can see that line of thinking existing. Can't you? We have more nominations. We have more categories, or at least in the main in the main ones that filter through the Oscars. So when I did this crossover, Mike, you have more translating towards less, you know, crossing over to the Oscars. So I do think the critics' choice plays these puzzle games all mm-hmm. the time. So I think your theory is absolutely valid, and I think The Five Bloods has a worthy ensemble in any year. I thought Agreed. the performances were phenomenal in that film from our from our buddy, friend of the show, Paul Walter Hauser, to yeah. the the lead and Delroy Lindell to all of The Five Bloods literally in that movie. Each one of them is is tremendous and for us to have that generation to the next generation with Jonathan Majors and Jasper Pockenin. I said Paul Walter Hauser there. You know, for us to see a movie with that, you know, quantity of great performances in it, it, it kind of separates itself from some of these, you know, these chamber pieces, these theatrical pieces. This is big cinematic acting. And by right the here. way, having that movie give so many superbly talented actors so much screen time and so much of their own performance is part of the reason why voting Chadwick Boseman for supporting based off his role in this was a little bewildering from the jump for us. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a testament to the quality of the five bloods more than anything else. Yeah. It's truly an ensemble. It's an ensemble like Chicago seven and we're going to end with Chicago seven, but a a couple more, a a couple more movies though. First, I, I just, yeah, I think Defy Bloods is a contender for ensemble. I wouldn't be shocked to see it win there, Michael. But another contender for ensemble is One Night in Miami. And this yes. could be, the, you know, again, this is another movie here where I feel like it could win four or it could win none. Do you feel like you've seen more love for Defy Bloods or One Night in Miami, all told, amongst critics? I think the five bloods because one night in Miami has always been there. And it was the assumed favorite in a few categories for a while now with Leslie Odom jr. As kind of at least right up there with Sasha Baron Cohen throughout the season before Daniel Kaluuya crashed the supporting actor category. Mm -hmm. I think everybody kind of considered it a best picture. Everybody kind of considered Regina King in the conversation. It's, it's going to be there for adapted screenplay. We would think, and it's got this ensemble picture situation working for it here. So the question becomes, is it just a, a bunch of nominations for One Night in Miami everywhere and that's its year? Or does it actually come through in song as we thought it would all along if, if, if it <laughs> breaks Diane Warren's heart again? Well, there is there is a track record, a correlation between Critics' Choice picking original song and the Oscars winner being the same uh, song from the same hmm. movie. Seven of the past eight years, Critics' Choice have picked the eventual Oscar winners as the winner for original song at their own show. So, all right. So, yeah. So, original song has had a lot of runaways, though. And again, this, this that is, is true. Category. This is every category. There's cycles where there's a lot of runaways and there's not. One Night, My, One Night Miami, I'm guessing, is not going to win a bunch at the Critics' Choice, if I'm betting. But I would give it adapted screenplay love. I, I would give Leslie Odom Jr. that song. I, I Sorry, Diane Warren. Well, I would give, so uh, yeah, I mean, apologies to Miss Warren, but I would give all of these movies consideration 
for a litany of categories before I got to trial of the Chicago seven, which I know is what we're going to end on. And we can kind of uh, segue to, but I, to a lot of critics credit, I feel like I've seen that kind of hierarchy for the most part. Whereas I feared amongst critics, especially trial of the Chicago seven would have, how do I say fooled without saying fooled a lot of critics into thinking it's a awards worthy movie. No, well, it just feels like past winners. I mean, can we say that? Right, and and I, the point I'm trying to make is that critics that I've seen have tend to say that about Trial of the Chicago 7, whereas they have talked glowingly, sincerely, about The Five Bloods and One Night in Miami. I think you're right, and I think Ryan McQuaid's right. It's kind of the Joe Biden of choices, and I think One Night in Miami... That's a great comparison, by the way. <laughs> ...gets more... Well, I think One Night in Miami gets more passion at times but at, but also like one one night in miami i feel has been a given thus far maybe we've taken it for granted thus far as critics as awards pundits as awards voters i mean when we reviewed it we liked it much more than we did on our first watch so all yes. right two more movies here and, and i know we we, we kind of talked about the bunch of movies judas and the black messiah and there's a lot of movies with three or four nominations uh the father sound of metal mike a tenant and Emma. I would like to see crafts and VFX and techs. And I would like to see, I have some rooting interests and we can maybe uh, get into some of those throughout the rest of the card, but promising young woman and the trial of the Chicago seven. I feel like they've been going in opposite directions of late in terms of film, Twitter and the punditry and everything says trial of Chicago seven is surging everything this week. All of a sudden, says the promising young woman, momentum is dissipated. It's gone after it got what we said over-nominated at the Globes. I mean, it did very well with nominations at the Globes, and everybody was like, oh, my God, maybe it can win some of these. Maybe it can, you know, it's this is this is huge for promising young woman. And then it goes over, and now we're like, oh, is it, is it just screenplay for promising young woman yeah. again? I mean, we've seen that happen. We've seen A Star is Born was supposed to be this huge Oscars, you know, giant, and it, it plays games at the Golden Globes, and it, it kind of gets what it gets. Can Come Oscars time, it's, you know, it's a well-regarded picture, and it's got a lot of nominations, but it doesn't win all that much. I can see pro- that happening to Promising Young Woman and being a victim of its own success early on in awards season. Is that fair? No. But it it's happens. And. The quote-unquote controversies, been, there's been a lot of debate you know, for Carrie Mulligan arguing against critics. Does does that get a little testy with this Critics Award show? I, I hope wonder. not. I mean, who, I hope not, too, because I, mean, I think you she's know, right. Who are we to, we literally sit here and take, you know, we criticize, as is the business, <laughs> These performances and these stories, they're allowed to do it back, I would think. Malcolm and Marie is allowed to do it back to us. Carrie Mulligan is allowed to do it back to us. Sure. Totally. I agree. Say, but is there consequences? Right. They, I, I, does everyone agree is the do question. We, right. Do, do, you know, does, does the angry person with the mm-hmm. vote right. change their mind? I mean, they can, can they dish it out but not take it? Right. Well, we could totally see that as well, mm-hmm. and we are just as paper thin in life. <laughs> no, look, promising young woman. Let's look at its noms real quick. Picture, director, hair and makeup, costumes. I think it's glad to be nominated. I love 
the direction I would love it for best picture hair and makeup and costumes. I think they got a couple iconic looks, but I'm not necessarily putting it up there with Ma Rainey. Now that's four of its six original screenplay and lead actress. We've talked about lead lead actress can go any which way. And we've talked about original screenplay, probably leaning towards Sorkin, but if it goes another direction, it's probably not necessarily promising young woman, Mike. So it's probably coming out of the choice awards here with one or none. Yeah. I would be worried if I'm a huge fan of promising young woman about what it's actually going to be left with come Oscars nomination time. I'm not sure at this point that the lack of wins should necessarily doom it because we can have that same conversation about sound of metal. Like I, to me again, to me, Promising Young Woman deserves to be on the top tier. It deserves to be nominated across the board. Say what you want about its themes and its plot. And I know you have issues, and I know a lot of people out there that I respect have issues with certain plot points and certain things about the movie. I disagree, respectively, or respectfully. <laughs> if, if you think I'm a troll, then you'll take one of those words. But, <laughs> but I, it's not even, it's not even, I would say it has more to do with momentum being picked up for someone like Vanessa Kirby, if that happens to maybe nudge out uh, Carrie Mulligan from the actress category, do people get tired of seeing Emerald Fennell's name in the director category, knowing that she's not going to win. So they don't bother, you know, it's those types of, I'm I'm serious. I don't know what happens in these voters minds. So it's those types of things. And there are six names in the actress category. We can fight over. There are six names in the director category. We can fight over. Right. Those types what of happens? Things, what happens when academics run into a mob of fans and the <laughs> the people who are writing a thousand words about this movie or that, and they're doing that on the reg? They go on film Twitter, and film Twitter is just like holding up foam fingers in the air for promising young woman. And has that been a bit un- insufferable up till now? Sure, I mean, there's another. Yeah. I think legit critics love this movie i love this movie but i'm wondering if an early favorite is facing kind of a backlash because it, it got out to an early lead as the critical darling but then people said oh wait sure. you know we're gonna argue about x y and z and they have been and now it's got some it's it's got some blowback so which is th- certainly a storyline we've seen play out before in recent history we totally have. And a star is born was, was one of those two kind of a big studio movie, but uh, this is more of an indie film, but you would think the dark subject matter of an indie film, it's even more, you know, possible for, for people to get on it for it. All right. I'm pulling for promising young woman to beat trial of Chicago seven and screenplay. I'll say that. Well, that's where we should end with the critics choice now, because Chicago seven won the globe and original screenplay. You would think original screenplay and ensemble, are its stronger plays editing? I I still think editing would, and it's right next to, it's right next to Nomadland on the critics scoreboard. Editing what makes picture, you say editing just because it feels like the most cinematic? I, I think the first ten minutes, editing wise, screenplay wise, is, is a superlative on the year in both yeah. regards. We've okay. talked about the first, the opening of Chicago Seven is as snappy. It's yeah. it's wonderful. I think the Trial of Chicago Seven, even on rewatch, is one of the best paced films of the year. It is old school Hollywood pacing. It feels like the narrative momentum can't stop, won't stop, gotta keep watching. Doesn't feel long. 
that's the kind of movie Chicago 7 is. We've seen movies like that, which have these smooth compositions from Green Book to The Shape of Water that just feel all kinds of familiar, the same but different. We've seen them win Best Picture and feel like the Best Picture winner. Going all the way back to The King's Speech, I thought The King's Speech, for a movie about a guy who can't really speak fluently, mm. that had a great tempo to it. It's just the Academy's tempo, and Chicago 7 has that going for it. So I'm wondering... Does a movie like Nomadland get that editing nom? Does it go the distance, or do we revert back to especially that branch? And we're going to find out with the Ace Eddies next week. Do we get a lot? Well, not that we're going to have noms next week, but we'll find out with the Ace Eddies, I guess, down the line. But I do think Chicago 7 is a bigger player in editing for coming from Paramount. Does it matter? What matters, I guess, would be a better question, if Chicago 7 upsets if if it is going to upset, if that even would be an upset in Best Picture and beats out Nomadland with the critics, does that change anything? Well, again, looking at the past few years, we haven't seen we haven't seen the narratives across the board. We've seen, you know, the eventual Best Picture winners win three or four, maybe five. We mm. haven't seen them win, you know, since La La Land won its eight. But even the year after that with Mad Max, I think it was that spot a year before Spotlight. You know, again, it's, it doesn't necessarily translate to the the big runaway, and I don't think there should be a big runaway this year. I think Chicago Seven's got some perlatives. No Mad Lad does. A lot of these movies do. I think we should spread it around. If I so, look, I'm rooting for some underdogs: Eliza Hittman, Jack Fincher, Emerald Fennell. A lot of those movies. The Father. I'm I'm curious to see if it'll do anything. You know, Sound of Metal was a movie we kind of liked, Mike. So. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we definitely liked. I I think there are some rooting interests here. I think we do have to move on. That segment went seven times as long as I thought it would. It went exactly as long as I thought it would. <laughs> the Annie Awards, Michael. Let's talk the, about the Annie Awards celebrating the best in animated feature films, Mike. All right. So Soul and Wolf Walkers, Walkers led with ten nominations. We figured that would happen. The big surprise to me about the Annie Awards is that Croods and Onward, they seem to be fixed now. I was surprised that the Croods 2 was going to be there. I watched it last night. It's corny as all hell, but really funny. All right, fine. Croods 2 seems to be fixed now that it got, uh, it's got a big resume after the Globe nom and now the choice and the Annie. The big snub at the Annie's was Over the Moon from Netflix. Over the Moon only showed up in some technicals. It didn't show up in the best feature, animated feature category. The Willoughby's is surging there, and the Trolls are back. And then we got the indie uh, animated film category with Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon kind of surging. So stock down on Over the Moon and Earwig and the Witch from Studio Ghibli, another movie that was it's kind of fun to watch but kind of strange. Look at Netflix had the most noms on the night. Pixar and DreamWorks are, are close. But no cigar, 40 to 20 in terms of that. I am really interested in how this five shakes out because we got four that seem to be set. And who's going to be that fifth movie? Is it going to be? We got two Netflix movies duking it out Over the Moon and Willoughby's. Mm hmm. I'm talking, and you got to stop me on animated features. Well, the four the four you're referring to are the two Pixar ones. We, Onward seems to be set in stone. Obviously, Soul is set in stone. Wolf Walker seems set in stone. And now you're saying Croods 2 is set in stone. The, the narrative that's going to come out of this, come out of the total awards picture, 
after Critics' Choice, especially for me, is how many people are down on Netflix properties overall? Because Netflix didn't do especially well at the Globes. It may not do especially well at Critics' Choice. You were talking about it needing to cannibalize itself just to get one nominee in the animated feature category. Hmm. Uh, could be something to keep an eye on as far as, I mean, I know it's not specific to the Annie Awards, but overall, it could be something to uh, that we're reporting back on about the awards industry ha- still not fully accepting Netflix as, you know, God tier, even though this was supposed to be Netflix's year in a lot of categories. I think. Netflix is racking up a million nominations and it will dominate nominations wise come Oscars. And I think it's dominating obviously in the precursors. Do they have the movie of the year? Do they have the, the animated movie of the year? You know, they're, they're, they're fitting to the algorithms, but are they necessarily fitting to the awards bodies yet? I, I don't think they care as I know they care, but I don't think they care as much about awards as they do viewership and they're winning and they're, they're going to control the industry. They probably already do. I would like Sean the Sheep Farmageddon to get that fifth spot, please. <laughs> that movie is nonsense. If your kids like it, fine. I watch that movie. It is silly nonsense. I can't get into it. All right, best sound. Well, this is how selfish I am. I need to love the animated film. It's not for me. It's not for me. Sean the Sheep Farmageddon might be a lullaby for every kid in the world. And I am just, just how dare I? Mike, best sound real quick. Look, if you thought sound mixing and editing were confusing before this year. <laughs> Which we did for years. <laughs> for years. How dare we? Movies are sight and sound, and we fucked up half the equation. Uh-huh. <laughs> Last year's Golden Reel winners on sound mixing including included the sound editing Oscar winner 1917 and Ford v. Ferrari, the mixing winner. Last year's Cinema Audio Society for sound editing featured sound mixing winner Ford v. Ferrari. So my final question to you is, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Like we, that have to, we have to get a, a sound designer on the show. It's, we, we talk about it every year, I've but watched. we just have to sit and just let them have the mic and just listen and lay out for like 45 minutes. And, and I, we've, I've watched documentaries on it. I tried to learn several times. I just can't get there. All right. The CAS noms for live action feature this year and the Golden Reel, which is the uh, sound editors nominations. I think there are a couple that are pulling away, Mike, between these two for one Oscars category at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. All right, let me see if I can figure this out here. (laughs) I have a lot of stuff written down, but I'm trying to make it shorter. Mank, News of the World are high up on people's lists. Sound of Metal and Chicago 7 are high on people's lists. And again, the people, it's pundits, etc. Greyhound crashed the CAS. We thought Ma Rainey would be there. Greyhound kind of overtook it. Now, they like war films. That makes sense somewhat. Makes sense. We've we've seen Hacksaw Ridge, etc. Right. Soul is in the animated category. Maybe Soul can factor in. It's sixth on Feinberg. So that would come be great over... if it did. It would help its resume for Best Picture, certainly. Right. We come over to editing and News of the World, Sound of Metal, Chicago Seven. Again, those three. Make is not here. Tenant and Ma Rainey 
are now here. I'm sorry, Mank is here. It just got one nom. But Tenet and Ma Rainey got two noms apiece, and Soul is here again. So, again, the sound category looks like News of the World, Chicago 7, and then it's like a free-for-all. Mank, Chicago 7, Soul, Greyhound could, you know, what's the superlative? Tenant. Tenant is still on people's lists, even though Film Twitter hated that sound. Midnight Sky, Ma Rainey. Chicago 7, in sound and production design, I do not understand, but it's just proof, again, that I think it's going to be a noms monster for the Oscars. Well, I really like the sound of Chicago 7 for some reason. I just thought they really blended, like, all the music. Like, remember the music when they're in the park? I thought I could see making audio sense for all the rioting. They got a lot of chance. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. 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 But I really like the sound of Chicago 7. I, I but it, it, a it's lot a of that movie is in a courtroom. Correct. So it sounds like a courtroom and it looks like a courtroom. Here's your Oscar. It's a rowdy courtroom. You're okay. right. <laughs> Mike, let's finish up with VFX. Look, we have a short list, an Oscar short list, and we have those 10 that we talked about. There are two shortlisted Oscar films that did not find its way into the Visual Effects Society nominations. Birds of Prey, Love and Monsters. That was a bit surprising Mm. because there's a lot of these categories here. There's eight Oscar shortlisted films that did show up at the VES nominations here, and they have a lot of animated categories. And this was very interesting. Soul has five nominations Let's here. Let's go. Let's at go. At the VFX Society, Soul was not necessarily something we thought would be a factor in VFX. And it was something we kind of overlooked when we did that shortlist. Yeah. Soul yeah, we were talking about that, how great it looks too, yeah. Soul's best day is original screenplay, animated picture, Director VFX score six. Obviously, I don't think I don't think director has a prayer right now, even though it should. It's best days probably five, four, probably. But but now it's starting to stack up for Soul, and it's getting the love down the card, which it needs to get for a best picture. We would think absolutely, and it's running away with animated. It seems, despite Wolf Walker's love, so that's that's substantial here. That Soul comes out of this award show like the lion king like the jungle book like hugo these were big winners at the vfx society animated categories they come over and they ultimately win the oscar never mind getting nominated where i could list a bunch more off so mulan had had three nominations bloodshot two midnight sky two one and only ivan welcome to chechnya mank and tenant all with one so a lot of chalk in the visual effects category right now. Where are they going to give Mank the credit? Are they going to go with something really cool like Welcome to Chechnya? Tenant should be. Like, they blew up a building twice and they reversed it, Mike. <laughs> How's Tenant not here? But they could go with something really cool and off the, off the, the uh, out of the norm, I would say, with an animated feature and a purely animated feature. We haven't seen a Pixar film in visual effects, correct? Uh, putting me on the spot. Not to my knowledge. I don't think so. But I'm sure saying that someone can uh, correct the record for us. But VES matters, at least in the last decade. There's been a direct correlation. You would think that's obvious because this is the branch that decides the VFX, the uh, FX branch at the Academy as well. But eight of the last 10 Oscar winners won at VES first. I mean, 1917 didn't. I don't know if it wasn't eligible for some reason, but uh, 
Ex Machina was another one that uh, that did not. But otherwise, VES has kind of predicted the Oscar winners going forward. Yeah, and they're very British. And that's more than 65% as we calculated <laughs> today as a theme of the X episode. So more than 65%, it actually may matter most. And we're right instead of other pundits, right, Mike? Exactly. And that's what <laughs> matters to us. <laughs> uh, enjoy Critics' Choice this Sunday. As always, we do want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about the uh, the preview going into Critics' Choice? What do you expect to happen? What do you not want to see most? Let us know all of that. Are we too cocksure for your enjoyment? You can let us know that as well, as well as giving us any other comments, questions, or concerns about anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us all of those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. We will be tweeting during Critics' Choice this Sunday as well. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar as well, uh, .com, at gmail.com, and on Reddit. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review in the app, that would truly make our day. Uh, you can even call us cocksure there if you want. Michael, <laughs> what is coming next from MMO, and what are some words of wisdom, some cocksure words of wisdom, if you will? Well, we are very cocksure that we're not cocksure. <laughs> I think that's wise to say. And we're cocksure about the fact that nobody should be cocksure. Yes, agree. Unless unless cocksure is under 65%. Because over 65%, I don't think that's, the, I think you're mutually exclusive from being cocksure at that point. <laughs> cocksure has to be over 65%. I got to tell you, I've never heard wiser words. Thank you. All right, what's coming next? The Critics' Choice Awards happen this Sunday night. We'll, we will be live tweeting them, and we will be doing a reaction show uh, Monday uh, probably for Tuesday uh, on those. We have a bunch more Guild Awards coming out next week, including the Producers and the Directors Guild, and we have the BAFTA nominations. So next week is a big week, middle of the week. You'll you'll probably have a couple episodes, we think, we hope. I shouldn't promise anything, though, should I? But look. Not unless you're Oscar, sure. Oscar nominations come out the following Monday. So in the least cocksure fashion possible, we will do an Oscar nomination prediction show, that annual special that we do every year, the one time where we predict the Oscar nominations. We lose our really... minds doing way too much research yeah. and end up being wrong anyway. <laughs> we probably should do like the rest of the pundits do and just predict them all year so we don't have to cram. Nope. For a week. No. <laughs> too late now. <laughs> right. uh, way too late now we, we are cramming we also have a lot of special guests already lined up with more to come for our annual category review episode so those are on the horizon after noms do drop on the 15th I believe it is so guys uh, when reality sucks you can join this Oscar sprint with us we are Mike Mike and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness we will see you very soon see you